0: Jesus, hope for the nations. If you've been listening to the news at all or seen media ads around, you've heard the question, are you okay? It's a wonderful thing that it's okay to ask those questions. How are you doing? Are you okay? If you're struggling, it's okay if you're struggling. We will help you and we'll come alongside you. I looked up some statistics this week. From the Australian Psychological Society in 2017, they they did a large study. And they found that 26% of the Australian adult population is either moderately to extremely has severe symptoms of depression or has above normal levels of anxiety. Now, to put this in perspective, now, remember, it's okay to be not okay. A quarter percent. I'm going to make you the 26 percent. You think about all the things that we have in common. We probably don't have anything more in common than the fact that we have tendencies of depression. And we have above normal levels of anxiety. That's pretty sad. But at the same time, you're in the right place. Well done for coming to church today. And if you are struggling, if you are having difficulties, if there's something we can do to come alongside you and be a support. I was looking up some other statistics about the reason why people are feeling stressed. Forty nine percent of the people that are stressed feel the stress of personal finances, which I can appreciate that. It's uh, the family issues. Personal health is 44 percent trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Forty percent of. Also, issues with the health of others close to us. 38% um, suffer stress because of that. And the most shocking of statistics that I read was in 2017. The highest rate of death for people 15 to 44 years old was suicide. 3,128. I think it's good to to give the exact number. 3,128 people took their own lives. In 2017. If you work it out, it's, one, it's eight a day. And as we think through those things and we talk about that the theme of today is Jesus' hope for the nations, there should be no greater place in the entire world to find hope than in the local church. And over the course of the last number of weeks, we've been talking about the fact that God wants you to know. God wants you to share. And today is God wants you to give. And with that thought in mind, I believe when we truly do give over to God, it's actually a stress reliever. So I don't want to add stress to your life because according to the, the Australian Psychological Society, 49% of those who are stressed uh, are stressed because of personal finances. And then we talk about giving. You think to yourself, I can't do anything else. And you may not be able to do something that the person sitting on your row can. My prayer for us as a church is that we will be open to have the conversations. If you're struggling, talk to somebody. If you need to fill out a connection card at the end of the service and put it in the offering bag with a prayer request or something, we can come alongside you. We will come alongside you and be a support to you where we're able. We will not overstep our bounds either. But as we're thinking about God wants you to give, I want this to be a stress-relieving message, not a stress-giving message. I want to take off the pressure of the fact that you have to perform or do certain things and turn it right back to the source of our hope, which is Jesus Christ. Over the last number of weeks, we talked about God wants you to know. We looked at different things that God wants you to know. God wants you to know that you are loved, that you need a Savior, you are a masterpiece that you were made new, that you're not alone, that you're a part of God's family, and that you have a home in heaven. And that's by no means an exhaustive list. We just scratch the surface of the things that God wants you to know. But because you know those things, and if you place your trust upon Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. We have a different perspective on the short term, but also on eternity. And because we know those things, we are obliged to share them. This isn't selfish hope. This is hope that we get to share with the nations. And whenever you share something, it is going to cost you something. That's why we talk about giving. Anytime we are sharing the hope that lies within us, it's going to cost us. It's uncomfortable. It's sometimes embarrassing. It sometimes it, it takes you out of your comfort zone. But absolutely, it's worth it. There's not one person I find in Scripture that regrets their decision to be obedient to the things that God has asked them to do. But I do find it time and time again when people take on the pressure of life upon their own shoulders and try to do things in their own strength and their own ability that they find that we find failure. We find distress. We find the fact that we feel like we're all by ourselves. So my challenge for every single one of us as we go through these, this passage this morning in John chapter 6, which is really an encouraging pass, passage of Scripture, that you may already, in a sense, have known this and you're already applying it to your life. So my prayer for you is that you look at this and go, thank you, God, for what I am get to enjoy. Thank you for you, the reminder that we find in your word and the fact that you're with us and you, you provide for us. Others of you may be in the point where this is new and you are having to, in a positive way, change your perspective on the way that you're thinking about things. Change your perspective on the gifts that God has given to you. We spoke of last week. And this may be a, a challenging message to you, but I don't want it to be a stressful one. I want it to be liberating because when we give over to Jesus and give over to the things of God, it removes the pressure. Does it make it easy? Not the least. Does it mean that we don't do anything? The opposite. In fact, we're probably going to be busier. But the other side is we find that we're doing it with an eternal purpose in mind. Our principle for today is this. God has given me something of value to give to others. I try to make that very broad because not any one of us has the same gifts the same abilities, the same opportunities, the same finances, the same network of friends. There's a statement that was told to me in Bible college that stuck with me very well. The statement was, we are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. John chapter number 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 14, which is the account of Jesus with his disciples feeding 5,000 men plus who who knows how many women and children above that. And he performs a miracle here. This is in the point of Jesus' ministry when he's incredibly popular. Everywhere he goes, he's being demanded to perform a miracle. They wanted to see a sign. They wanted to see a wonder. They wanted to see someone, someone healed. And people were following him literally by the thousands. Let's begin reading in verse number one. John chapter 6. If you don't have your Bible, it will be on the screen for you to follow. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up to the mountain. There he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Philip is one of his 12 disciples. Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread. Now a denarii was a day's wage for a laborer. So in other words, he's making some big outlandish statement. 200 days worth of of wages, you work it out for yourself how much that is. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to just get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. So there was much grass in the place, so that the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing may be lost. So that they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the five barley loaves. Left by those who had eaten. Verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Let's pray together. Lord, as we open up your word, I pray you open our hearts and minds to what you have for us today. I pray that you'll do what you promised to do. That you will meet us where we are and take us where you want us to go. That you will reveal you what you want us to learn through your scripture today. In Jesus name. Amen. This morning, I have three points for you. It begins with start. God wants you to give, and it's to start with what you have. There's a disease that many of us suffer from. It's a disease of somedayitis. When someday I'm going to do these things, and I know that, and I walk around the house, and my wife is in the service today, and so we're all done. I, mean, I have nothing to do today. There's nothing on my to-do list. And she's, not, she's shaking her head. There's a long list of you know, the someday items. Someday I'm going to get to that, and someday I'm going to do this. But it's important when we are called by God, not to delay and put it off till someday, but to start with what you have. Dorothy on The Wizard of Oz was told when she began on the Yellow Brick Road journey, she said, where do I start? They said, it's best to start at the beginning. So this morning, in your mindset, I want you to think about, to start at the beginning. John chapter 6, verse number 5 says, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? God always starts with what you have. For Philip and the disciples, he asked, what do we have to fulfill this huge need of feeding these thousands of people? Philip answered, we don't have anything he started with what he had he didn't start with with what someone else had he started with what he had and he started off with nothing now you and i may not start off with nothing we may start off with a small amount or or something small but remember that god has already solved the problem he's getting us to be involved continuing on in those verses verses six and seven jesus Asked the question. Jesus said to, to test him, for he knew what he would do. Now, I often wonder about that. Why would Jesus ask the question if he already knew the answer? You notice that Jesus didn't ask his disciples, "How should I heal this person? What should I do? How how should I go about healing this person?" You know, Peter, you know, Simon. Peter, what should I do? Well, what's going on here? Explain this to me. He didn't explain that at all. Those were something totally beyond the ability of the disciples. What we do see here is the self-reliance of the disciples of thinking to themselves, we have to handle this problem by ourselves. We have to take this on Ourselves And somehow we're going to, have to fix this problem because Jesus doesn't know the answer to it. And you think about all the emotions going through Philip's mind at this time when Jesus asked him the question of how are we going to feed these people? And he's thinking to himself, maybe he's the fixer of the group. And he goes, I don't know. How, what are we going to do? I, I don't have enough money on me. And I don't think we have enough money in our money bag to even buy enough so that every single person can have a little bit. And you think about all the worry. And Jesus totally removes that from him by the end. And he says, you don't have to worry. All I want you to do is start with what you have. I've already given you enough to start with. And I hope that's an encouragement to you, because more often than not, when I feel that God is calling me to do something, and maybe you feel the same way, my instant reaction is, I don't have enough, God. Or my re- response is, I can't do this. And do you know what that most liberating thing you can say I don't know, God, is incredibly liberating. I don't have enough, God. And do you know what God often says is? He either says, yes, you do have enough. Use what I've given you. Or he says, I agree you don't have enough. I'm going to have to give you what you need. C.S. Lewis makes a quote. And he says this, you can't go back and change the beginning. That'd be nice sometimes, though, wouldn't it? Just to rewind, say, I'm sorry, today, the 15th of September, didn't start well. We're going to rewind and start from the beginning again. Everyone, wake up. No, we can't go back to the beginning. But you can start where you are and change the ending. So my challenge with you is you may not have had the greatest beginning, You may feel like you don't have anything, but my challenge to you is to start with what you have so that you can change the ending because the statement of I don't know or I don't have enough God, when you pray that in faith, not as an excuse, that is a powerful prayer, Uh, a, a prayer of power, not of weakness. So not only are we to start with what we have, we are to give what you have to Jesus. Now, in my imagination, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, Simon and Andrew, they're, they're big, burly fishermen. And in my imagination, they find this one little boy with five little loaves of bread and two fish, and they stand next to him and go, you want to donate that to Jesus? I should use a deeper voice. <clears throat> you know, you're going to donate that to Jesus. We don't see that harassing the little boy, but somehow they find this young boy amongst this huge crowd and they bring him to Jesus. And the incredible thing with this young boy with faith is that my natural inclination is I don't have enough. uh, Last week I talked about the fact that I love ice cream. You ever tried to ask your children to share a bite of ice cream with you? Instantly, they don't have enough. They do not have enough. They cannot have enough to share. And when you are the only person seemingly that has food amongst everyone, instantly the natural response is, well, we better hoard it. We better take care of it. In verses 8 and 9 it says, One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But even he responds with, but what are they amongst so many? So they're still starting off with, we don't have enough. Jesus is going to have to do something, quite literally, miraculous in order to feed the people. He's brought his disciples to an important lesson. Every single one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, records the feeding of the 5,000. The only other miracle that's performed, or recorded in all four Gospels is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's something uh, impactful about this lesson that Jesus wanted his disciples to learn. And I believe it's recorded four times in Scripture so that you and I will pay attention and learn the same lesson. Give what you had to Jesus. There's three quick points. First of all, what? Give Jesus what you have. That's the main point again. The boy didn't have much, but he gave what he had. Percentage-wise, he had the most food out of everyone, according to that passage. No one else had food. No one else planned ahead except that wise mother of this boy. And she packed that lunch for him. He didn't just say, oh, I can give you half and I'll save the rest for myself. Or I'll give you one of the rolls and one of the fish. He gave all that he had. The boy gave all the five loaves. If you want a miracle in your life, You can't hold back from God and say, God, you're going to perform this miracle in my way, in my terms. We're talking about faith, promise, missions giving. We're asking you to live by faith. And some of you may be prompted by God to give an amount of money that is far beyond what you think is logical according to the budget. And if God's doing it in your life, you may question God and you may have some super spiritual conversations, much like I often do. God, what are you thinking? Are you sure? I mean, I had pizza last night. Are you sure this is an indigestion? And you think to yourself, God, this doesn't make sense to me. But according to this is, this young boy, he didn't give half. He gave it all. You can't hold anything back from God. If you're asking God, God, you're going to have to do something here. God, God is going to have to do it in his way and in his time and in his ability, not in your mindset and your thinking. That is incredibly liberating. That takes the pressure right off of you. You think of the disciples. They're still trying to fix the problem even when they bring this boy to to Jesus. They bring a a solution of, here has a boy with five loaves and two fish, but they even end with a statement of, but what are they among so many? In other words, it's useless. Maybe we could beat the boy up and steal the food. At least we can eat. But also, when did this boy give? He gave immediately. He didn't delay. He gave exactly when he was asked. Because that's exactly when Jesus needed it. This is something that for myself, and you probably are the same. Our natural way of thinking through things, we have to analyze it. We have to make sure it's logical. And if I fully understand the process, and I fully understand the, what the expected outcome is, then I will give. Then I will give of my time, my resources, the opportunities, whatever it is. This boy, he had no idea. You think through. A couple burly fishermen walk up to him and say, you have food. So he walks up to Jesus and willingly gives it over. That incredible faith of a child. Now, there, there may have been other people there that had food. It would be hard to, to think that you know, 5,000 men plus women and children, that only one person had food. But there was one person with the faith of a child who was willing to give his food rather than keep it to himself. So that everyone else can benefit as a result. Matthew 14, 14 talks about the same passage in Matthew 14. Tells the story, but it gives a little bit of a different perspective of Jesus' uh, attitude. It says when he went to shore, he saw the great crowd. This is Jesus. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. Jesus was going in with the attitude of compassion. Jesus didn't delay his compassion and go, come back later. He immediately went about and healed their sick. He saw their need of hunger and didn't say, well, you better go work it out for yourself. He says, I'm going to perform a miracle that my disciples are going to learn a very valuable lesson. And so that we can go out and impact the world through what we're learning here. The third point is God wants you to give, uh, start with what you have, give, what you have to Jesus. And then finally is obey what Jesus commands. Jesus begins with a statement of have the people, have the men sit down. He, in, in preparation, they were preparing themselves. Whenever you sit down, they were anticipating something's going to happen. Now, I'm putting my, my imagination on here. The people sit down, they're anticipating something. They have no idea what's going to take place. Imagine trying to communicate with that many people to have them sit down, let alone do anything else. And the disciples, as they they stand there, they they begin to to pray, and Jesus prays over over that small amount of food. And you think through the potential embarrassment. Jesus, if you don't do something miraculous here, we're going to look really, really dumb. I have a feeling this prayer it's probably a very simple prayer that Jesus prayed. It probably wasn't something big and outlandish. It probably was something as simple as God, please bless the food and thank you for providing it. And in those few moments' time, as the disciples listened to that prayer, I can only imagine the emotion going through their minds of, This is so embarrassing. How are we going to get our way with this? And as they open their eyes in prayer, and Jesus begins to break that bread and distribute it out. And it goes out and multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. Their faith, going from a faith of what is what is that among so many? In other words, we don't have enough to being. This is a miraculous. This is amazing. You can imagine the conversations days and weeks later with the anticipation. But Jesus, at the end, after they finish, and everyone eats in seconds and thirds and fourths, and the teenagers each in sixth and seventh. They gathered up all the fragments. Everything that's left over, they had 12 baskets full. Because for some reason, it says in verse number 12, it says, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing be lost. And I have a feeling it was a matter of this was something amazing. And as they carried those baskets and ate them the next day, and and as they distributed amongst the people, these were conversation starters. Do you know what happened? Do you know what this started off as? This started off as five small loaves and a couple of fish, and look what we have left over. The, the message continued to perpetuate. As God calls you to do certain things, you are going to naturally have the response of "I don't have enough." But based upon the fact that you know and the things that you know about God, He loves you and cares for you. A masterpiece. He's changing you and developing you and growing you of your home, not just for now, but for eternity in heaven with him. And the things that you know should give you confidence to live this life differently. In Ephesians 3, verse 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, In a few moments' time, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter number 3. and I'm going to get you to interact with me a little bit. We're going to change the words of Scripture slightly because as we read Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 20, it has some pronouns, some I's, some you's, some us's. And as we do that, I'm going to read, but I'm going to read it slowly, and I'm going to pause whenever it's highlighted on the screen with a yellow. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I want you to personalize that. So, for instance, the first line, For this reason I, for this reason Michael, I want you to personalize this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth and on earth is named, what according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Are you personalizing this as we go? That you, being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that and here's another one that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him, Who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. When you personalize that passage, it goes from being something distant. It goes from being something that is okay just for them and you begin to personalize, this this will give you the context of this passage talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and this is the application portion. The verses 14 through 20 is the application. When you begin to personalize that God has something of value for you to give, what's your response to that? My response, to be honest with you, isn't very deep and well thought out. It's simply, wow. Wow.